grace. Paul is writing to the churches uh, that he's planted in the region of Galatia, which is basically modern-day Turkey. And what's happened is false teachers have been distorting the gospel. They've been adding things to the good news of Jesus Christ. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is all about what Jesus has done for you, for each one of you, on the cross. That there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And equally, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you less. God loves you, full stop. There's nothing to add to that sentence. There's nothing to add. In fact, if you try to add anything to the gospel, it collapses. It's like one of the, you know, those people who build those house of cards. I don't know how they do it. They, they build with a pack of cards, like, like a pyramid or, you know, the, the triangle and then the line. And, then, and they build this pyramid of cards. It's incredible how they do it. There it is, this pyramid of cards. But if you come along with one extra card and you add it, the whole thing collapses. If you add anything to the gospel, it collapses. Or think of it, a wedding cake. Think of those beautiful wedding cakes with the different tiers, tiered wedding cake. It's all weighted out perfectly. But if you try to add in an extra tier to the wedding cake, the whole thing collapses. There's nothing that you or I are to add to the good news of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is doing in the letter to Galatians is, is really telling the church and telling people, telling you and I, that we are to hold fast and hold strong to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul is fighting for freedom. He's fighting for the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. He's fighting for the liberty and freedom that has been won in Christ Jesus. That's why we've entitled this series, Set Free, Live Free. John 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What I want you to think of in these verses that we're going to read in the, in, in, in the preach that I'm going to do this morning is that, that Paul is a theological braveheart. He's a theological gladiator. He is fighting in this passage for our spiritual freedom. He's saying, look, as Christians, you are to live free. You have your eternal hope in heaven, but you are to live free in the here and now. And we're going to look in a moment at three things that Paul fights for in terms of the freedom we have in Christ. So let's read the first bit of Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 6. Galatians 2, 1 to 6. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. And meeting privately with these esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. 
This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. We are free in Christ. That is your identity. That is who you are. You as a Christian, as a believer, are free in Christ Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, the Jews, God's chosen people, had an identity. They were God's chosen people. And one of the ways you knew that was because from Genesis chapter 17 onwards, God commanded Abraham that all men, all males were to be circumcised as a sign of that covenant and that promise. You see, circumcision was a sign of belonging. It was a sign that the Jews were God's people. Without being too kind of blatant, it was obvious and it was clear. So what happened once the gospel was being preached and Gentiles, people who were non-Jews, were becoming Christians? What happened? As more and more non-Jews became Christians and were baptized, how could you tell if they were a Christian? Did they pray and did they keep Sabbath? And how could you know for sure? Under the Old Testament covenant, there was a clear way of knowing. There was an undeniable certain test that these were God's people. Well, now look at the scripture we just read. Who did Paul take with him to Jerusalem in verse 1? He took with him Barnabas, who was a Jew, and he took with him Titus. And Titus was a Gentile, a Gentile convert. He was a case study for all to see. It's like Paul saying, look, look at who I've got with me. Look, Titus is here. He is an example to show you that all are free in Christ Jesus. Because in verse 4, we read that false teachers were trying to bring Gentile Christians into a new slavery of circumcision. Let me put it like this. You see, the Bible tells us that human beings are slaves to sin. That, that's, that's what we are. We are slaves to sin. We are dead in our transgressions. We are caught in a cycle of habitual sin and doing things that we wish we didn't do. But we become a Christian and we are set free from sin. We are set free from the past. We are set free from death. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is the gospel. But there is a danger, a very big and real danger that Christians who have been set free then return to a different type of slavery. For you and I, it's almost certainly not going to be circumcision, but we return to a slavery of following rules and regulations. We, we, we return to a slavery of feeling like we have to do certain things to earn God's favor and love. And if we, don't, if we get things wrong, if we, if we do things badly, then we don't have God's favor and God's love. 
You see, a change of masters is not an escape from slavery. Just imagine this. Just imagine a man who's been in prison and he gets set free on the Monday. He's free. He tastes the freedom of the fresh air. He can walk wherever he wants. He can go and have a burger. He can go and watch a film. He can do whatever he wants. He is set free from prison. But Tuesday, he becomes slave to a gang leader. He has to do what that gang leader tells him to do. He has to follow orders. He swapped one kind of set of slavery for another. And this is what Paul is challenging us. He's saying, look, you have been set free, so live free. Don't go back into some kind of slavery. And in verse 5, Paul says, look, look, I stand firm on this truth. We did not yield even for a moment, he says. Look at Titus. Here he has his, his, his case study, his example, his exhibit A, Titus. He believed in Jesus Christ. It was enough. He's not circumcised, but he is a believer. He is of equal worth and value to Barnabas, who is a Jewish Christian. And you see, ever since Paul's time, there have been enemies of God's grace and destroyers of freedom. Even today, it's so subtle, but people will come along and say, oh, yes, it's Jesus, but plus good works. Oh, it's Jesus, plus you have to read your Bible every day and pray every day. Oh, it's Jesus, plus communion every Sunday. Oh, it's Jesus, plus giving a certain amount of money every single week to the church. It's Jesus, plus something. Jesus, plus something. But again, it's not about what you do. It's interesting, Luther, one of the great church fathers, said that outside of the Gospels, the most important New Testament book, in his opinion, was Galatians. Because it preaches again and again and again the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about what you do. The world says... It's all about what you do, and it judges you on what you do. Religion says it's all about what you do. Christianity, the grace of God, the gospel says Jesus has done it all on that cross. Now, I want to help you on this point because many of you will be, yeah, yeah, got it, Mark. Yep, I know that. Yep, that's true. And I believe you. You know that. But why do we not always live like it's true? We know it. But why doesn't it always come across in our lives that we are living under grace and in the freedom that Christ has given to us? Let me give you the example of Peter, which I think illustrates where many of us are with this. Peter, a disciple of Jesus, bold moments of faith and also got many things wrong. He was the one who denied Jesus three times around the fire when Jesus was being examined by the high priest on the night before his crucifixion. Peter then saw Jesus crucified. Three days later, Jesus rose again. Peter was there at the resurrection. Peter believed the resurrection. People, Peter, sorry, believed that Jesus Christ had died and rose again. But he lived for a period under that slavery mindset of, of the cloud of what he had done. Then we get to a beautiful piece of scripture 
John 21, the end of John's gospel, where after breakfast, Jesus came to Peter and he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Each time Peter replied, yes, I do, Lord Jesus. Yes, I do, Lord Jesus. Yes, I do, Lord Jesus. Each time canceling out the denial that had happened only a few weeks previous. That was the moment that Peter was set free. That was the moment that then led to Acts chapter 2, when Peter, free and full of the Spirit, preached on the day of Pentecost and saw 3,000 added to the church. Here's why I think Peter is so helpful to each one of us. Many of us are Christians. We believe in the Lord Jesus, that he died and rose again. But we live in that period where we are under a cloud thinking like Peter did, that it's all about what I do. That that if you mess up, you live under this cloud of, of feeling down and feeling condemned. I want you to know that if you have messed up, if you have got things Wrong. If you feel like you've let Jesus down, you're not to live in slavery and condemnation. You are to live in freedom in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You are not to live under that cloud like Peter did in that period from when he saw Jesus resurrected until John 21 and the breakfast on the beach. Don't live there. Live in the freedom of what Christ has won for you. You have been set free, so live free. So Paul is this freedom fighter in these verses. He is theologically punching. He is theologically fighting. And the first thing he's fighting for is the one we've just looked at. You are, your identity is that you are a child of God and set free free, whatever you do. Let's look at the second one that he fights for, verses 7 to 10. Galatians 2, carrying on, verses 7 to 10. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. The second thing that Paul is fighting for is that we are free in Christ to live our unique calling. What Paul wants in these verses is he wants the apostles, that's Peter, James, and John, to recognize the grace of God at work in his, in Paul's ministry. And from verse 9, we read, they did. They recognized that even though the apostles had been with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and they were carrying out the work of God, even though Paul hasn't physically been with Jesus, that Paul's 
was preaching the same gospel, and Peter, James, and John recognized what Paul was doing. The only difference was that Peter, James, and John's sphere of influence was different to Paul's sphere of influence. Put very simply, Peter preached to the Jews, and Paul preached to the Gentiles. Now, this wasn't exclusive because you can read in Acts chapter 10 about Peter uh, engaging with Gentiles, and Paul often used to go to a new town or city, and he would start in the synagogue. He would start preaching in the synagogue. But in general, Peter was there for the preaching to the Jews, and Paul was there to preach to the Gentiles. That was their spheres of influence. And what we have here is something really, really important. There is one gospel that doesn't change, but there are different callings that each of us have. So there is one gospel that doesn't change, the gospel that we are all sinners far from God, that Jesus lived the perfect life that died on the cross to deal with our sin and three days later rose again. That message, that gospel never changes. Whether we're preaching to the old, to the young, to the rich, to the poor, to the middle class, to whatever class, to Asian, to Europeans, to Africans, to whatever continent on the world, the message of the gospel never changes. The presentation might change. You might tell a story. You might go verse by verse through a scripture, but the truth never changes. It's interesting, even Paul, he's often very gentle with the weaker brother, but he never waters down the truth. There is one gospel. It does not change. But alongside that, we all have different callings. God calls different people to different ministries in different places and to different groups of people. Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews, but the same gospel. There's no competition here, only the advancement of the gospel. So for example, some of you here, your calling will be to children, to young people, whether you're a mom, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a youth worker. You are to be free to fulfill your calling. You're not to feel guilty that you aren't reaching the older generation or you're not reaching the business community. Equally, you may be called to the world of finance, to the business world, to the corporate world, to live with integrity, to live with holiness, to work hard and to be a beacon of light in that setting. You're to be free to fulfill your call. You're not to feel guilty that you don't look after or help out with work for the homeless. No, you are to live the call, the unique call that God has put on your life. God wants to use who you are, your unique life, your unique calling. It's the same gospel, but it's lived out in multiple different ways. We are to live out our calling. I love this little story um, that I heard about uh, a school play a number of years ago. 
a school play. And it was one of those classic moments in a school play when the teacher is uh, handing out the parts. It's a primary school play, I don't know, year five, year six, something around that. And the teacher was handing out the parts to the play, which was Cinderella. This year, the play was Cinderella. And all the main parts went really quickly. Who wants to be Cinderella? The ugly sisters and godmother and Prince Charming and all the various parts went really quickly. But there was one boy in the corner, his name was Norman, and he didn't have a part. And the teacher said, Norman, what part do you want to play in Cinderella? And Norman put his hand up and said, Miss, I want to be the pig. And the teacher said, there's no pig in the story of Cinderella. And he says, yes, there is. I'm going to be the barking pig. And the teacher had a moment to reflect and thought, how on earth is this going to work? But she, to her credit, went with it. So Norman dressed up in a pink pig's costume. He had a pipe cleaner on his backside. He had a, a kind of a crunched up piece of an egg carton on his nose. And everywhere the story went, Norman the pig went. And he was like the Greek chorus. If the play at that moment was happy, he would stand on his haunches smiling. If it was a moment in the play where things were sad, he would stand there with a downcast face. And everywhere that Cinderella went, Prince Charming went, in the background was Norman the pig. At the climax to the school play, when Cinderella and Prince Charming kissed, Norman the pig barked. His teacher said, pigs don't bark. Norman said, this one does. <laughs> and now when it came to the end of the play, who was it that got the biggest standing ovation? It wasn't Cinderella. It wasn't Prince Charming. But it was Norman the barking pig. I love that story because it is a story that talks about someone uniquely living their calling. Someone who found their place and lived it boldly. You know, the way I think of it in terms of our calling is those Venn diagrams, again, back to school. You know, those circles with the overlap. There will be many of us that overlap with people in our lives. But there will be a unique section that only you will reach. There will be a unique section of people that no one else on this planet will reach apart from you. That could be work colleagues, that could be friends, that could be families, that could be neighbors. There'll be a lot of overlap. There will be a section that only you will reach with the gospel. So Paul is fighting for our unique calling. It's not that everyone, that Peter and Paul were to all be for the Jews. Equally, it's not that Peter and Paul were all to be for the Gentiles. Go with the unique calling that God has given to you. Now, verse 10 talks about remember the poor. It talks about God's heart for the poor. We're not going to look at that now because that comes up in chapter 6. So we will cover that and look at that in more detail later in this series. So let's then carry on to the final part of the message. And the fourth thing that Paul is fighting for as the freedom fighter, verses 11 to 14. When Cephas came to Antioch, 
I opposed him. Cephas is Peter, by the way. Some versions would say Peter, some would say Cephas. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Right, what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is a heavyweight battle between Paul and Peter. Paul is, is freedom fighting, theologically freedom fighting. And in these verses, he goes head to head with none other than Peter, the one on whom the church began, the church started. Why? Why has Paul got such beef with Peter? Because Peter's actions and conduct did not match his beliefs and his words. So just to draw back up for a moment and give you a little bit of context, Peter, as we know, was an Orthodox Jew. And even as a Christian, he saw a distinction to begin with between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. To start with, he saw Jewish Christians as superior to Gentile Christians. But then you can read it. We haven't got time to go through it now, but you can read in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 Peter has direct revelation from God on this topic. He has a rooftop dream, a rooftop revelation that there is basically no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There is no unclean anymore. And Peter says this at the end of his revelation, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And at the end of Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And we have the outworking of this in Antioch when Peter goes to eat food and to fellowship with Gentiles. And eating food back then, 2,000 years ago, was a massive sign of acceptance. If you were to eat food with someone, it showed that you accepted them, that, that you were on a level with them, and there was no separation. So God had done a work in Peter. God had worked in Peter's life. But then we read from these verses that a group of Jewish believers had come into town. These Jewish believers used thought how Peter used to think. They were Christian Jews but had a superiority complex that they were greater and more important than Gentile Christians. And they spoke to Peter about the need to separate. And what happened was Peter, under a bit of peer pressure from these Jewish believers, he withdrew from the Gentile believers. And what Paul is calling out here is hypocrisy. 
He's calling out Peter's hypocrisy. That Peter was saying, Jew, Gentile, equal, and yet he was separating himself from Gentile believers. Paul was saying, Peter, you are being deceitful. You are deliberately going against what God showed you. We all know, Peter, that you used to eat with Gentiles, but now, because these Jewish Christians have come into town, now you have changed. In other words, Peter, you are saying one thing, but you are doing another. It's a bit like Pastor America in the 1960s, where churches would say God loves all people and then refuse to sit or talk to someone of a different race. You see, Paul is so vexed by this because, because this hypocrisy isn't just about Peter. It's not just about his personal view. It's about the fact, as he says in verse 13, that other people are being influenced by his views. The rest of the Jewish Christians are getting carried away by Peter's example. Even, he says, Barnabas. Even Barnabas, godly good Barnabas, is getting turned because of Peter's example. Now, commentators say, listen to this. This is, you go, whoa, for a minute. If you just, commentators say this. Commentators say, if Paul hadn't challenged Peter over his conduct when he did, in these pages, when he did, the church would have divided and would have split due to the huge influence of Peter, Barnabas, and Paul. And what you would have had would have been a gospel of grace church led by Paul and a gospel of segregation and separation led by Peter. This is so important. This is so integral that Paul fights hard, that Paul fights publicly against Peter because, verse 14, we're told, we're told that this is integral to the gospel. We're told that, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. This is integral. This really matters. Peter not sitting with Gentiles, it really matters. It contradicts the gospel. You see, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're saved by God's grace alone, not by works. There is no distinction, no separation in the family of God, male or female doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter how much money is in your bank balance. It doesn't matter your age or your class. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says it in the next chapter, chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male, no female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul understood this, that we are all one in Christ. 
And then you have to take this that step forward and say it like this. You see, if God accepts all, if God accepts all people, how can we then reject and divide? If God receives all into fellowship and there is a place at the table for everybody, how then can we deny another a place at the table? Romans 15 verse 7, we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We live in an increasingly divisive world. We live in a world of the have and the have-nots. We live in a world that divides you because of your grades or or divides you on how you dress or how you look. It, It divides you because of the country that you were from. There's division, 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 division everywhere you look. The gospel is in stark contrast. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Whether you are a multi-billionaire, whether you are Bill Gates, or whether you are a child in a slum in India, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I tell you, church, in an increasingly divided society, this is a message we need to shout from the rooftops. We are all one in Christ. We are to celebrate. That's what I love about Hope Church. You look across this room. I love the diversity we see. I love the diversity of age and nationality and background. And all of us, there's no hierarchy here. We are all one in Christ Jesus. There's something to celebrate. There's something to enjoy. There's something to tell the world. And there's something to fight for because we are all one in Christ. So let me sum up three things in these verses that Paul is fighting for. He really is contending and fighting like a a prize fighter. He really is your brave heart, your gladiator. He is fighting for these three things. Know who you are in Christ. Know that that does not change when you have a bad day. Know that you don't need to live under a cloud when you mess up. No, 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 no. You are loved by God. You are a child of God. You have been set free, so live free. The second thing he fights for is your unique calling. There is one gospel, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, but there are multiple callings. Live your calling. Your calling is not inferior to the person to your left or to your right. Live your calling. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means at this moment, and it often changes. It can change in our life. It can evolve in our life. But whatever you have right now as your sphere of influence, go with everything you have in the unique calling that God has given you. And he's fighting that we are all one in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful, beautiful message. All one in Christ Jesus.